Mission Log Supplemental, Number 19, from the floor of Star Trek Las Vegas. Welcome into a supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. For those who don't know, supplemental episodes are sort of special. Sometimes they're interviews, sometimes they're conversations with listeners, and sometimes they're both. I'm John Champion. We did that part already. Recently, uh, John and I... I'm John Champion. Yeah. Recently, John and I... Oh, I get it. You're doing kind of a group thing. I'm John Champion. No, I agree. It's a great movie, but this is a Star Trek podcast, not a Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. I'm John Champion? Well, because it isn't. It can't be. It was set up as a Star Trek podcast. Maybe somebody out there will do one for both, but... Where was I? I'm John Champion. Right. Thanks. Recently, John and I got to go to Las Vegas for Creation's 2014 Star Trek Las Vegas convention. We did a panel, we went to sushi, and we talked to more people than we could count about Star Trek and Mission Log and Star Trek. Today you'll hear a few uh, interviews with some of those people, uh, with plans to bring you the panel audio very soon. I'm John Champion. (laughs) That's right, we did that too. And we talked to a bunch of people about the transporter. Uh, We want to sincerely thank our sponsor, Connected Data, makers of the transporter for their support, and uh, just the incredibly generous giveaway of two of their devices to Mission Log listeners. Uh, Congratulations to Mark Hensley and Lisa Barunas. And I I probably mispronounced that name. Lisa? Anyway, congratulations to both of you. I feel certain that someone has gotten in touch with you by now. If nobody has then please get in touch with us, and uh, we'll make sure that that happens. And, of course, if you would like more information about the Transporter, you can visit them online, uh, filetransporterstore.com. Was there anything else? I'm John Champion. Dude, we said we were not going to tell anybody about that. Sitting across from us now, Trevor Roth. Chief Operating Officer and Head of Development for Roddenberry Entertainment, Trevor. Thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you. I hear we're here to talk about Star Trek. Is that right? Yeah. You know, we thought we'd go different this time. Yeah, well, because I have a lot to say about that particular <laughs> that series, that show. Yeah, that's and the one I with the Enterprise. Say, with, oh. the, with the spaceship? With the, well, now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, Because <laughs> I, just, I, I, just, I have to yeah. jump in and say I love the part where Luke yeah. is, and there's yeah. a big sand pit, and, and he Wookie, jumps and he does the flip, and, the thing. and he grabs the lightsaber. So that good. is the best. You know, so good. I don't know if you remember, yeah. but it's always... It's so embarrassing. It You're thinking of Dune. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. That's okay, though. We'll, we'll, try to, we'll, try, we'll try to play through. That is through. embarrassing. With Sting? Dune? What? Yeah. Yeah. Ken, you always have Dune on the mind. I do. It, it wouldn't true. be Mission Log without a reference to Dune. That's true. Well... Sting um, really had the coolest hair in Dune. And the coolest Speedo. It was so... Yeah. He was pretty kick-ass. What'd you call me? Godpiece face. What'd you call me? <laughs> Um, all right, so I have a question, and, and this is sort of an inside baseball question, but for people, this, I guess, will be maybe a 201 question. All right. Let's say. A lot of people know the name Roddenberry tied very closely to Star Trek, and yet Roddenberry does not, in fact, own the, the, the name Star Trek or the rights to Star Trek. I'm curious, 
there is still obviously just a huge tie-in between the two organizations, between the two names. I mean, they will be synonymous forever, as they should be, and yet business-wise, they're not like a... They're not in lockstep behind the scenes, I suppose. What does that do for what Roddenberry Entertainment does, and then specifically what Roddenberry Entertainment does uh, with things related to Star Trek? You know, I think that, um, you know, when it comes to Star Trek, Roddenberry and Roddenberry Entertainment will always be a part of that universe and a part of that business in some way, even if we are not the owners of that business. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is to say that... Um, you know, as you said, you know, Roddenberry and, and Star Trek are in many ways synonymous to one another. I, I tend to believe that if you were to ever create a television show that is somehow representative of a person, <laughs> you know, that Star Trek is it. It, it, it literally is Gene Roddenberry mm. uh, when you talk about the, the parts he was involved in. And, and anything past that that sort of continued on the tradition that he started. Um, and because of that, they're... they're um, you know, inextricably linked to to each other, um, and we have great relationships with uh, with most of the people that deal with Star Trek. So, you know, our relationships with CBS and with Paramount and with uh, Bad Robot, you know, are are, are you know nice, uh, strong relationships. Uh, sometimes a bit more um, participatory than others, but it's not as if we are completely outside the universe. And of course, we're sitting here at the largest Star Trek convention of the of the uh, year, and you know, we come to this every year and we have been here for 30 years and we still deal heavily in Star Trek merchandising so I think that it's an interesting thing because it is something that we have to navigate Mm -hmm. and we have to kind of figure out and you know um, and yet we're still able to do certain projects like Trek Nation where we did a documentary about Gene and about Star Trek and um, and that all works into us continuing you know a tradition and legacy that we are we are so proud of I think at the same time in some ways the gift of not owning it would be the fact that it pushes us towards other things that are in spirit very Star Trekian, but not obviously in name. And it allows us to, uh, you know, look at science fiction and say, look, you know, this is a name that is so well preserved within one show, and now you know, movie franchise, and one fran- uh, you know, one total universe, if you will, one phenomenon. Um, what else can that? name do within the category that that phenomenon helps create within science fiction and I think that that's when you know I get very excited because I think you know look Roddenberry doesn't just stand for Star Trek it stands for what was in Star Trek which is a very science fiction oriented look into the human experience Um, and from that standpoint we realized very quickly well shoot we can do that a lot more we can make great things that are not Star Trek and everyone who likes Star Trek will see the Roddenberry in them the Star Trek in them and because of that and because we believe the love of Star Trek is something that continues you know for generations and will for generations to come we believe there's an audience for that kind of science fiction and we can create things like Days Missing or Worth the brand new graphic novel we just came out with or other things that we're working on. Instant is a, a film that we just recently shot. It's a short film that we're developing for a feature. And we're developing a ton of things. I think we have over 20, 25 things on our slate right now. And all of them speak to, um, you know, what Star Trek was in a way. I, I, we, we got up on stage and I realized, you know, I've been up on stage with Rod, and Rod a lot of times. And I only realized like a year ago or two that sometimes these people 
don't understand what we take for granted, which is the link between the new projects we're telling them about and Star Trek. And every actor that was in Star Trek that's starting something new wants to be able to plug their new stuff. With us, I feel it a bit more organic or a bit more natural only because we're not trying to plug something that's not Star Trek. We're trying to explain why what we're doing still is Star Trek in a way. And that has to do with looking through the lens of science fiction and using science fiction as uh, a methodology to tell a very human story. Well, I think that speaks back to Gene Roddenberry himself as a producer. You know, he creates Star Trek. He's there for a season or two, season and a half. And it's not like there is disinterest in Star Trek, but he is producing and developing other things. And all of the, whether it's, you know... uh, uh, Quester tapes or or Earth Final Conflict. Those are all things that speak to his ideals and ideas about the future and about humanity. So I think all of that kind of ties in very nicely and it it speaks to what you do as well. I think absolutely. I think, you know, when when it comes down to it, and and Rod has said this a number of times, so I I will just repeat his words because I think they're ones we share sentiment of. You know, we're not so much fans of science fiction as we are fans of drama and fans of exploring the drama of life. What science fiction is, is a way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a way to sometimes use analogies uh, or, um, you know, allegory. Um, It's sometimes uh, a way to talk about, in Gene's case, a way to talk about something that was sort of untalkaboutable. Yeah. If that's a word. I just made up a word. I coined that, by the way. Really well done. Yeah, thank you. TM. Let me ask ask you a question about that, though. It used to be, and I mean, certainly Star Trek did this, and Star Trek the Animated Series did this as well. You used to be able to get away with doing so much stuff because it was science fiction, and people didn't take science fiction seriously. Uh, Flash forward. Ha, ha, ha. Flash forward 48 years as we record this, and... I don't know that people don't take science fiction as seriously. Do you think Do you think science fiction is as safe a place to sort of get away with delivering sort of a covert message, or or do you think science fiction has matured enough that you can't you can't just yeah. tell people ah question God who cares? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think that uh, overall I would think our situation with science fiction has gotten better from that standpoint. But I don't know that you're wrong in pointing out what you are, uh, because I'll say this: I think that science fiction has gotten to a point where people are taking it a lot more seriously. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about it is that it has expanded tremendously in our lifetime to beyond what Gene was allowed to do within science fiction. You know, science fiction used to be very specific to like time travel, exploration, and aliens, and those three things. But now what is science fiction, if you go to a, like a Comic-Con or anything, is anything from you know, supernatural to superheroes to aliens to mysteries of the world to you know all of that kind of is combined now and our playground got a lot lot um, more reputable and a lot larger now in that the question is uh, that you're asking is you know is it harder now to utilize that um, because people are looking at it more seriously and I would say no it's not as hidden in other words if you're going to put something in there I think that people are looking for it a lot more now and they're able to see it but I don't know if that's a bad thing because you know when you watch a movie like District 9 which was a fantastic movie it's one of those movies that I always say like that's a Roddenberry movie even though we had nothing to do with Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. because it was about something like that you know you look at that and 
it's not something that like, oh, some people maybe aren't going to get it and some people do. The message is clearer today because science fiction is looked at a little bit more seriously. But I don't think it hinders the ability for you still to utilize science fiction in that same way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I want to return to the merchandising stuff because I, there, there was something that I think we didn't hit upon. We're not I'm... making a John Champion doll. We're no. not. Oh, get, come on. The John Champion. You know you're ready to make well a bobblehead or an action figure with my buffness. Um, There's a lot of activity over there at the Runbury. There was indeed. Um, Keep it lively. So here's you've been friends with Rod for a long, long time, and you knew the Roddenberry family for a long, long time. Um, We had, uh, well, we still have uh, listeners of our show who have been Star Trek fans since the beginning, since the '60s come up and they talk to us about how much they love the shows, how much they like listening to our show to kind of relive and re-explore those ideas. And they will show us, and I'm going to post some of these uh, to our Twitter and Facebook, merchandise that they bought from Lincoln Enterprises in the 70s. And they're like, yeah, I bought that from Majel. I bought that from Gene. I bought these cards and these certificates, and there's Gene's signature on that. Um, when did Lincoln Enterprises become Roddenberry Productions slash yeah. Roddenberry Entertainment? Sure. And what, what was your entree into that? And tell us how it changed. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, first of all, I think you got to give a, a lot, a lot of credit to Majel uh, Barrett Roddenberry. And I guess Gene to some extent, but to my understanding, um, Majel more than anyone, because it was her who, by the way, over like uh, 10 years before Star Wars came out and made the whole hubbub about uh, merchandise and, and, you know, all of a sudden that got to be something worthwhile and valuable. Yeah. 10 years before that, this woman said, you know what? We have this show. I think people want to buy stuff from the show or that are memorabilia or, you know, reminiscent of it in some way and, and connected to it. And I thought, I always look at that and think, man, like... She thought of that almost before anyone that I know of then, because that's 10 years before Star Wars. Um, and, and that's when they started Lincoln Enterprises. And, and that's and, when they um, worked that Itic medallion into, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> into an episode. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that, um, one, I give that credit. Now, over the years, Lincoln, um, you know, sort of persevered through the decades and everything. And it, it was in the year 2000 that uh, the internet was booming and, and sort of uh, e-merchandise started to become something of a, of a normality that Rod uh, actually decided to take uh, Lincoln online um, and, and therefore it became Roddenberry.com. Um, Roddenberry.com is obviously the URL that we utilize today for everything from our shop, which is specifically shop.roddenberry.com, I guess, um, as well as all of our entertainment stuff. But um, it was that that made the sort of transition to utilizing the name Roddenberry from Lincoln, and uh, and since then, you know, um, we've just really wanted to um, make sure that people understood where everything's coming from, and that the Roddenberry name stands for something of value, whether it be an entertainment or merchandise. And so, we've kind of bundled it all together underneath Roddenberry Entertainment as the total brand, because we feel that what we're providing in almost any area, including Mission Log, of course, mm-hmm. is entertainment um, or a link to that entertainment. And, um, and so that sort of, you know, I came in actually four years later than Rod started the dot-com. Um, and, uh, and since then it has grown. And, uh, you know, right now, you know, the tremendous emphasis that we have always put on authenticity is coming to a peak. We are just actually launching what we're calling the Roddenberry Legacy Series of, of props. These are like 
ridiculously amazing props that we are, um, you know, just putting painstakingly a large number of hours into to make sure that they are authentic, that we are working with craftsmen, that, you know, everything you get from this particular line, and we just launched it with uh, the Klingon Batleth. And thank you, because we are giving away a Batleth. Yes, it yes. is so uh, totally <laughs> worth going for, by the way, people. Yes. It was, it's amazing. It is cool. Um, and it's heavy, and it feels, you know, like you could really kick some ass with it, although you shouldn't, because <laughs> no. it is not a weapon, and right. there's a disclaimer in the box. It's a problem. Uh, but uh, it's an amazing piece to own, and we're following it up with the Mark IX Tricorder, which is now on presale at Roddenberry.com. Cool. And um, it just represents a tradition that was started so long ago by the family themselves and something that we, uh, we hold true to and care so much about, um, along with the entertainment. What do you think of when you remember Majel? Ooh, Majel is okay. So I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Yes, but you're I'm going to say it, it anyway. Rod said we could so, talk about anything we want. Ro- Majel, if you didn't know her personally, is what I would call a broad. Okay, like she was what you consider a broad. Like when you think of that word, that's Majel Roddenberry. Like you know, Majel was like could be elegant and, and beautiful and all these kinds of things. But at the end of the day. Majel was like kind of hard like she was you know a tough woman and um and 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 sassy and and you know she was a really fun lady and and yet a tough lady and I think that um you know it's probably something that you know is why Jean was attracted to her in the first place is because you know she could hold her own um so I had a tremendous amount of respect for Majel um you know uh she was sometimes tough you know, um, but um, always uh, someone that I always, you know, I spent days and weekends and nights over at their house and I knew Jean and I knew Majel um, even better. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I always think good thoughts when I think of her. If you were a tree, how would you improve Star Trek V? If I was... Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> My goodness. Thanks a lot for... Thank, thank you. Absolutely. It was great to be on and I uh, hope you guys are going well. We are. Three years. Thank you. Yeah. Starfleet Mom. <laughs> yes. If that is your real name. Of is course it? it is. Yeah, of course it is. It's on my birth certificate. That's how you, that's how people know you. Yes. That's what you go by, Starfleet Mom. Yeah, it's my persona online and in real life. You've been with Mission Log from the beginning. Yes. And before there was a Mission Log, you've been coming to the Vegas convention for yes. how long? Um, 2006 was my first convention. Right on. What's the deal? Why? Oh, well, the first one was sort of like a midlife crisis trip. My best friend and I came, and it w- we went whole hog. We bought the gold weekend passes. Actually, by the end of the con, we were referring to it as the dairy convention because they milked us for every penny we had. <laughs> we bought it all. We bought the resistance to bingo is futile, and we went to the Deep Space Nine breakfast, and... And we had never been to a convention of any kind before. And with the gold passes, you get a a dozen or so autographs included. We didn't know some of the people who were that we got for one thing. And for the next thing, we didn't even know you had to give them something to sign. We sort of had a picture in our head, like you know that scene in Galaxy Quest when Alan Rickman's just like, right, you know, spitting out the eight by ten glossies. Next, next. We thought it would be like that, but. We didn't have anything for them to sign, so we went to the gift shop at the Experience, and we bought postcards and stuff like that. I want to know how you go from somebody who's never been to a convention before to somebody who says, like, 
I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go whole hog. And now you're like a convention pro. You're here every day in a different costume. I don't think he meant that the way it sounded. <laughs> no, no. But but what what made you think? Okay, I'm I'm a sci-fi fan. I'm a Star Trek fan. But now I'm going to commit. And I'm actually going to go to a four-day thing with a bunch of other... Well, I think the reason why I keep coming back, especially to this convention, this is like, I can't miss this one. And I think the reason is just because it's like a huge family reunion every year. There's people that I only see in August in Las Vegas. And I I love seeing them. I love to see what they're going to be dressed as or hanging out with them at the parties. Um, It's not about sitting in there and listening to the panels anymore. I've heard most of the actors multiple times. Some of the things are interesting to me, but I just don't make it in there because I'm socializing. Because I'm with my tribe. These people get me. Let me... Let me ask, um, there are probably people here who do multiple changes a day, but I don't know because I don't know them. But because I know you, you're like a, you're like a Madonna concert or a Gaga concert or something. I mean, it's like, you know, I see you in the morning, you're one thing. I see you in the afternoon, you're another. I see you at the, before the floor closes in the evening and you're another. And then there's a possibility you will be something else again at the bar. Um, How many costume changes do no, you No, I just do one costume a day. You are wrong. <laughs> I just do <laughs> one a, a day. That's not true. And then I'm usually human at night. That's not true, is it's it? It's true. Were you, were you not the redheaded person and somebody else later in the day the other day? No. Really? I was myself later in the well, day. Well, who am I hanging out with then, John? I, I don't know. I All think right. you, I don't know. you're just but someone like the It's quite possible yeah. that I'm walking around assuming that it's you like nine times. Because <laughs> you're that oh. good. Someone like Eric Hall, he has multiple changes per day. He's the one who does, he looks like Data. Oh, yeah, or yeah, he yeah. does the Borg, the, the yes. big cool Borg. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing two or three a day. Okay. Yeah. But how do you, how do you right. choose who you cosplay though? Um Well, I okay, my Galaxy Quest costume goes to every convention with me. And that's my favorite because it's my all-time favorite movie and it's my favorite Star Trek movie. And so last year I had this idea to do it. I had a costume made, got the blonde wig, and um and I just love it cuz I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah. Uh this one, I don't know. I I underwent kind of a pretty huge physical transformation in the last couple of years and so I feel like I could finally wear some cooler costumes because they can fit me better and I just look better in them so I love Deep Space Nine it's my favorite series and just looking through some of the episodes I decided that Kilana was beautiful and I wanted to be her so for those people who don't know who Kilana is because I know we're not there yet in I have the no podcast, idea what show you're talking about. she is on Deep Space Nine in half of one episode, and she's a Vorta, and she's from an episode called The Ship. And right. I just thought she was beautiful, and I wanted to do her. And I've never worn prosthetics before, and I, it's all kind of new. I've never worn contacts before. And <laughs> thank you, Ken, for fixing my eyes. Certainly, yeah. I, I am here for that. <laughs> Not really, apparently. For those of you who don't know, Ken is not a trained medical professional either. Not by a long shot. <laughs> Can we talk about the Galaxy Quest thing just for a little bit? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. You said it's your favorite Star Trek movie. It We've is. gotten a lot of emails, Facebook comments, tweets saying you've got to talk about Galaxy Quest. Now, yeah. okay, technically it's not part of Star Trek canon. It's not part of the oeuvre. It's not anything related to Roddenberry I know, because it's all. historical documents. <laughs> So, what makes Galaxy Quest the best? Star it's Trek it's movie? the perfect movie. It's um, it's got a lot of 
I don't want to say references to Star Trek. It's like an homage. It's an homage to Star Trek. People call it a parody, but I think it's more of an homage. Yeah. Uh, and it's got a brilliant cast, and I'm a huge fan of, of everyone in the cast, and it's just so well done. It's not campy. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it, it's, it's just the perfect movie to me. It's entertaining. It's funny. It doesn't take itself seriously, but it doesn't make fun of Star Trek. It's not right. like... You know, it's to me, it's an homage, and I just love it. It's, it's, if I may, it's one of the things that makes it a fantastic movie. Is it's not just an homage to Star Trek; it's an homage to Star Trek culture as well. Yeah, you can look at like Spaceballs, and Spaceballs is a parody of every science fiction movie that was ever out there. And it's not necessarily insulting to fans, but it doesn't include fans either. It's like if you know the movies, then you're a fan of those movies, then you might think Spaceballs is funny. Galaxy Quest. I mean. The first time I came to this convention three years ago, I, I was like, I've kind of been here because of Galaxy Quest. And, it, and, it, and, it, and certainly those actors sort of get tired of it. I mean, there's a whole lot of redemption throughout that movie. But, I mean, it's, Galaxy Quest is not just a nod to Star Trek, but it's also a nod to, to, to the entire culture, I think. And I'll tell you what else is really cool about Galaxy Quest. I remember seeing it in the movie theater when it first came out. And at the time, I was like a big Tim Allen fan. I thought it would be cool to go see. My husband, is he knows nothing of American television, pop culture. He doesn't like sci-fi. He went with me to the movie theater. Our daughter at the time was probably around, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And um, the three of us, I just remember the three of us sitting there in the movie theater, all of us laughing and loving it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it has a, a, a broad appeal that you don't have to be a Trekkie to to watch the movie and like it. Right. You don't have to be a sci-fi fan. You don't have to even be an adult to get the humor. We all three enjoyed it. So I think that's pretty cool about it, too. What's your favorite Trek series? My favorite series is Deep Space Nine. My favorite captain is Kirk. Oh, I can't remember. Which season of DS9 was he on? I'm sorry? Which season of DS9 was he on? I can't remember. Trials and Tribulations. He's in that episode. He is oh, in Deep Space Nine. Right. Oh, all right. Burn, but I don't know what burn, season that is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ken. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> who's, uh, who's your favorite podcaster? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't ask You're her. You're not going to make me say it in front of you guys, right are now. you? Who's your favorite podcast? Total. What is your favorite Mission podcast? Mission Log. Okay. Right. Easy enough. Yes. So there is a guy that we have had the uh, 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 pleasure absolute pleasure I would say to meet over or me anyway over the past couple of years the past two times I've been here uh, Jeff Gaunt um, you do just some insane costume stuff I mean like insane and, and, and don't get me wrong there are people who have bought like fantastic admiral uniforms you know there are people who paint themselves green and God bless them for doing that but, but the level of work that you put into your costumes is nuts in a good way <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me first of all about why, and then like how long do you actually work on this stuff? Oh, first of all, I'm, I'm flattered that you say that, and I'm honored to be on the show because I love the mission log. And um, I I studied fine art, and okay. I was an artist in New York. I was a painter. I wasn't a sculptor. And I was making just 2D work. And I, I actually showed with a gallery, a respect, semi-respectable, I guess respectable gallery. <laughs> I, and I had a semi-respectable career for a few years. And uh, then I think around the time I turned 40, I just needed to get out. And I was, I didn't, it wasn't satisfying me anymore. And so I came to L.A. 
And once I got to LA, I was able to suddenly be creative in a way that I hadn't been since I was a kid, but to really embrace all of everything that I had been not had time to deal with when I was in New York. And so all of my nerdy passions that I still followed, you know, I was still a massive Trekkie and so on, but I wasn't going to conventions since I was like, say, my early 20s. And all of a sudden I'm in my early 40s and I'm living in L.A. And there's so much more genre stuff that happens in L.A. than in New York. It's so much more accessible. And all of a sudden, cutting out the art world part of my life where I didn't have to focus on that, I was just entirely able to focus on what I wanted to do. Four years ago, cut the story short, four years ago I came to Star Trek Vegas for my birthday because I just wanted to do something crazy. And I thought it would be fun. And... My girlfriend at the time and I, we were like, if we're going to do this, we're going to make costumes. So we made costumes. I was a Vulcan executioner, and it was amazing. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. I didn't make it into the finals of the costume contest. I didn't even, only half of my costume did I make. But after that experience, I decided to teach myself to sew. I went, I bought a cheapo sewing machine off Craigslist. I just taught myself rudimentary things about to sew, how to sew, and I just... I was doing job at the time doing display work for a company doing windows and things so I was thinking more in 3D terms and it just came really naturally to suddenly start channeling all my creativity into making objects and things related to costuming. uh, And let's get real here because you won Ken's admiration with your costume of Dr. Roger Corby. Yeah. I mean, that that's really where we went, wow, th- this guy, this well, no, guy knows I mean, what Honestly, all of his costumes, though, really do kind of speak to me. I mean, yes, Dr. Roger Corby is absolutely fantastic, but people can't see what you're doing right now, so I'm going to try to paint a picture. <laughs> um, if you remember, the Corbomite maneuver, and that's, I mean, how this guy is just like aiming for my heart every time, because that is my favorite episode of the original series, it's period. Mine too. Um, so, uh, if you remember, uh, Baylock ends up being little Clint Howard, not the big scary thing, right? And so, the, the costume, what I'm sitting in front of right now is this full-grown man, except he's all in black, and he's got sort of like about the size of a ventriloquist dummy, little Baylock body with a little bit of a marionette thing going on so that he can control the glass of Tranya. Tiny baby hands holding <laughs> Tiny glass baby of hands holding yes. a glass of alcohol, <laughs> like they do. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean, just, it's, it's a stunning level of work. I mean, the, 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 the commitment and just the, just the fun with the whole thing is kind of incredible. So, this year, there's, there's a, sort of a new part to it. Yes. Um, we've got the big Baylock puppet as well, the big scary thing that they saw on the screen. How long did that take? And, and, and let me follow that up with, Wow. <laughs> well, thank that you. That thing looks um, awesome. I'd never carved anything like that before, mm-hmm. frankly. And so um, at my job that I do now, we have a lot of scraps and foam and things like this. So we have blue foam. I glued blue foam together into a cube, drew out Baylock on it, and just started cutting Cut with away. an Ulfa blade mm-hmm. until it started resembling it. And then just kept going until it was close and then sanded it down. And, uh, yeah, it was... It was probably about 
50 hours, I would say, on the one piece. That really is the rule of sculpture. Start with a block and carve away everything that doesn't look like Baylock's monster. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's actually how the Inuit carved the first Baylock puppet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, good. I think good. Yes, all sculpture would be better if it looked like Baylock. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jeff, we know you have to hit the costume contest. You look amazing, and thank you for all your support of Mission Log. Really appreciate it, Thank you so much. I love what you guys do. And, And good luck. Thank you. Take care. It should be mentioned, Jeff went on to win this year's costume competition. Way to go, Baylock. So we're joined by Andy, who is a Mission Log listener and uh, enough of a Star Trek fan to be here in Vegas 2014 for the big Star Trek creation entertainment convention. Uh, Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You stopped by the table a couple of times, and we've had a great chat about Star Trek, about Mission Log, about um, just all kinds of stuff. Um, You started listening to us, you said, about the sixth episode in. Yeah, you were about five or six episodes in. I went back and and started with The Cage. I started with episode one, but I found you when you were about six episodes in. So, So, obviously you were a fan of Star Trek before that. Why, you know, why revisit? Why come back to Star Trek 3 podcast and keep, you know, stay with it. Clearly you're familiar with the show. We formed your own opinions. Why keep the conversation alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I am a huge Star Trek fan and I've been a huge Star Trek fan since, I don't know, six, seven years old um, when my mom walked in and caught me watching Lost in Space. Oh, dear. And immediately said, you don't want to watch that. Change the channel. And there was Mr. Spock in a piece of the action in the fedora and I was hooked Um, so you know that was oh my goodness just so long ago and uh, I've loved it ever since I've been to conventions I actually won a trivia convention or trivia contest at a Star Trek convention tells you how geeky I am Lately, I started getting interested in podcasts and even toyed with the idea of doing a Star Trek podcast myself. Started doing some research, found you guys, and honestly said, well, there's just, that's the kind of podcast that I would, that that I had envisioned, and I became an instant fan. Well, is that because you think about Star Trek in terms of morals, meanings, messages? I mean, we're always, Ken and I know why we do the show, Mm -hmm. and and we know the kinds of conversations. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, we, we know the kinds of conversations that we like to have, but I'm always curious when we talk to other fans. It's like, well, well, what really is it about the show that you're connecting with? What is it that draws you in and makes you want to think about it, even well after those shows are done and in the can? You know, the way I look at life is life is a journey, and I'm always trying to improve in whatever it is that I'm up to in life. Star Trek is about that, I think. That's my, that's what I get from Star Trek more than anything else. Is it's about humankind's continual striving to improve, to become more than we are, to explore not just space, but what it means to be human and to grow as, as a race. And so that's always been kind of the, what's been underneath my fan, my fandom, um, so to, to engage with intelligent people, even if it's one way, if I'm just listening, to engage with intelligent people who love Star Trek too, and who have and all the other movies as well. But I'm bum. But who love Star Trek as much as I do, and to have intelligent conversation about it, 
it's it's like a joy. It's something that I get to do week in, week out. Um, and, and if you would, please share the name of that podcast with us when we're done here, because uh, that sounds like a great one I to was listen say, to. We, yeah. We've actually been toying with the idea of bringing intelligent conversation to Mission Log. Yeah. So you're kind yeah, of encouraging yeah. me. I think I think we might yeah. be on to something. Yeah, uh, I like that. If, if I, like well, that, we uh, that. we're all hungry for it. So. <laughs> Excellent. No, it, it really is. Uh, it's given me an opportunity to see Star Trek newly, too. You guys, every week, no matter how much I know those shows, and I, I'm telling you, I won a trivia contest at a Star Trek convention. I knew the original series. You would point out things that I never heard, that I never saw when I watched it. Spock's brain is a great example of that. Uh, I was never one that said it was the worst episode. I think Cat's Paw is the worst episode. <laughs> That's because um, you're smart. <laughs> but, but Spock's brain was never one that I thought had much redeeming value to it. After listening to the podcast, you guys showed me there's something there. There was some, some story to that, and there was some, some moral to that that I didn't see. So I get, to, I get to hear it from your point of view and think about Star Trek in a whole new way. I, I read an article not long ago on Crack.com talking about fandoms that kind of, kind of hurt themselves. Uh, and in particular, they're talking about comic book fans and being exclusionary toward new fans, exclusionary toward others. And something about it resonated for me with Star Trek fans, because the premise was this. It said, every single person who reads that comic book and identifies with that superhero, that character, they're doing it because they found that at a certain point in their lives mm -hmm. it reminds them of something it has some emotional resonance with them and it's very hard to understand that other people have totally different histories totally different stories coming to that character or coming to that that emotional bond that they have with that piece of pop culture and therefore fans will tend to eat other fans alive <laughs> you know um, but um, it, unless it, you agree with my agree version with that, of that exactly yeah. exactly yeah. And, and it made me think about Star Trek it made me think about what we do on Mission Log because we hear from people who say you know you're totally wrong in your perception of this mm -hmm. or better you know the, the better conversation to have is what you're saying which is you had this idea that is totally different from the idea that I had but now I see both of those ideas together. Now, now I can just sort of expand my understanding of that rather than limit my understanding of this particular message, moral, or meaning that we might pick up. Yeah. There, there's a, boy, there's so much in what you just said there. Um, I think about the differences between the two of you as I listen. You two don't agree on everything. No. And... Mm -hmm. That makes it more interesting, not less. I mean, if the two of you were just parroting each other and agreeing yeah. with each other, I've got politics if I want to hear, you know, agreement amongst groups. <laughs> right. um, part of the fun is hearing one of you say something and then having another one of you disagree with it and then coming to my own conclusion of do I agree with one of you or the other or do I have a third thought or is something that's completely totally different. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also, the other thing I thought of when you mentioned that was, how many different Star Treks are there? The original series, the animated series, which is in a way an extension. Um, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, the movies, the new movies. There's so many versions of Star Trek. My daughter's Star Trek is not my Star Trek. Uh, my Star Trek was the original series. It will always be my favorite. Captain Kirk was my boyhood hero. Um, and William Shatner was was 
the first actor I think I ever became an actual fan of. But Next Generation, while it was different in terms of um, in terms of look, feel, even the the morality of it, the timing of it, um, wasn't necessarily the Star Trek I grew up with. But it was it's still a part of this massive universe, and it all fits, and they honor each other. There's no there's there's an honoring. Um, the trouble with Tribble, I, I know we don't want to go through timeline, you know, jump timelines, <laughs> but the trouble with Tribble's crossover episode that's coming up in, I don't know, seven or eight years, yeah, long time, when you yeah. finally get to yeah, it, yeah, yeah. you'll have forgotten about this by right. then. Um, that, that's so honoring of the original series, and so it all meshes together. So I look at it like it's one big, giant universe, with the exception of Star Trek V. Uh, well, let's talk about Star Trek V for just a moment. Okay. And we'll wrap it up with that. When we did the show, we kind of approached it, I think, at least I did, like Spock's Brain. Here is the much maligned movie for so many reasons, valid reasons. And then when we did the podcast, because we, we don't share notes ahead of time, we were sort of looking at everything fresh and trying to have a spontaneous conversation, suddenly there was a lot to talk about. What's your take on that movie? What You said you don't really count it, but I, I, I would argue that it is a part of Star Trek. Sure, and it, it's, it, a part of, it's a part of canon. Yeah, and, well, and I would argue that it bookends a lot of the morals, meanings, messages that we've explored up until that point. It, it does, and it gets into a little bit more of, of Spock's history with the brother. Um, regardless of whether I liked it or didn't like the movie, and I, right. I didn't care for it, right. I, it was just hard for me to get through Um, it is a part of Star Trek lore the campfire scene is a part of Captain Kirk's life Um, and I I accept that listen there were there were a ton of episodes actually by watching or by listening to Mission Log there were a bunch of episodes that there were way more episodes that I thought weren't as good as I remembered them Mm. after revisiting them through your ear through your eyes and ears Um, but it just because Cat's Paw or Star Trek V or, or Spock's Brain is, wasn't something that I enjoyed as much as some of the other episodes or movies doesn't mean it's not a part of the lore, part of the, the whole story. What do you think it is? I mean, here we are at this convention with thousands of people, and that happens every year. And I've said on our show before, and I'm sure it'll say it again, you know, we look at the stats and... A little better than half those episodes hold up. A little better than half of them are good, in our opinions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why does a show <laughs> that is doing that then generate this? Here's what I think it is. Human beings, fundamentally, all of us, want to get... We want to improve. We want to be more than we are. Star Trek's core message is that you can become more than you are and there's more out there to explore the more the more you grow the more you'll discover there is to grow that's the fundamental message and we're hungry for that with all the other stuff that's going on especially now on television and movies and there's more zombie apocalypses out there than we know what to do with yeah messages of how do we become how do we how do we strive for that ideal that ideal of what humankind is possible it is it's possible for us to find we're hungry for that star trek was that 
And it was that from the very beginning. And the people that grabbed onto it wouldn't let it go. Do you think it's lazy writing? I mean, do you think it's lazy writing? There's a, there's a, and I don't want to say lazy writing because, I mean, I know the people who work on things like Elysium or the people who work on things like World War Z or, you know, whatever. I know they're actually working hard. And as John has pointed out before, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Right. They're trying to do something good. But I can't think of the last science fiction that started with, all right, things are awesome for mankind right now. And yet there is still something that we're dealing with. Everybody is like guy alone, you know? And it's like, oh, this one guy is going to take down the evil system. Or this one guy is going to work in the evil system. Or this, there's this evil system and it's like machines. It's like, I mean, it's Neo. It's Decker. Mm-hmm. Or Deckard, excuse me. Deckard. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. it's, I can't even think of what else. I mean, it's Superman for crying out loud. I mean, yeah. Superman honestly is always against the bad thing. Is Star Trek the last time that we had science fiction that said, hey, look, stuff's going to be awesome, and yet there are still stories to tell? Or is it just, is it just easier to do the thing of like, oh, we'll give a guy a laser and he'll go out and he'll shoot everybody who doesn't agree with him? Maybe. I think we're about to launch into another hour-long podcast here because that, that you may be talking about something that is the core of how humans tell stories to each other. I mean, that's not fair, though, because that is something that Roddenberry did. Yeah, and he's we are, unique. We for are it. here fifty years yeah. later because of him saying, "Once upon a time, everything is amazing, and there are still stories to tell." Nobody starts with "everything's awesome" unless the next line is "until." Mm-hmm. I mean, his his thing was okay. So everything's awesome, and here are these adventures, and everything's still awesome, and here are still these adventures, right? Mm-hmm. It's really not until the movies that the whole universe is going to end. And Kirk's joking about it at the end of season, at the end of uh, Star Trek Six. Well, once again, we saved the galaxy. Yeah, and that really didn't. They didn't save the galaxy much. I don't believe in the original series. The galaxy was not in peril that much in the original series. Unless Except you count, for the like, immunity syndrome. Balance of terror. Yeah. Okay, and the immunity syndrome. But he was saving sure. planets left and right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Sure, yeah. but but overall things were great. We don't have science fiction today. I mean, and there probably are novels, and there are probably a lot of things I don't know about. But as far as mass consumption, as far as television movies, we don't have science fiction that starts with the premise that everything's going to be awesome. You know what I mean? You know, you're right. Uh, I, I think that's part of why Star Trek is, has survived as long as it has, is because there isn't that kind of story out there, and we want that kind of story. We want to believe that where we're going to be 300, 400 years from now into the future things are going to be better. We will be closer to that ideal mm-hmm. that, we're, that we're trying to get to and because there isn't much else out there and there's so many people that, that want that well, it keeps the thing that does work, Star Trek it keeps it alive. <laughs> 